This is the 3D Pod, your number one source for 3D printing news, analysis, and insight from 3dprint.com. Now, here are your hosts, Joris Peels and Maxwell Bogue. Hello, everyone. My name is Joris Peels, and this is another episode of the 3D Pod. And with me, as always, is Maxwell Bogue. Hey, Joris. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm great. It's a wonderful day here in Valencia in Spain. And uh, is, it, is it nice in New York? It's nice in New York. I'm actually currently resin printing in the background. And uh, yeah, it's a good Friday afternoon for me. Who do we have on the 3D Pod today? Well, today we've got Ben Hartkop. And uh, Ben is from, uh, he's a co-founder of Quantica. And Quantica is, well, so first off, one of the, the 3D printing technologies is inkjet or jetting technologies generally. And the advantages is of inkjet is you can use a lot of materials. There's a lot of applications from color to circuits printing to full color to you know printing different materials, lots of different multi-materials uh, on top of each other or, or in between each other. Um, so a lot of stuff that you can do with inkjet. And the, one of the other advantages is that you can lean on all this IP and all the billions of dollars that has gone into inkjet over the years and companies like HP and all these other companies making inkjet heads and their respective technologies. And then you can lean back and just make these, get this really accurate dispensing head kind of for, you know, for, for very cheap developed by these other companies. Now, Quantica decided not to do that. <laughs> Instead, they're developing inkjet uh, 3D printing technology using their very own jetting technology which uh, is kind of makes this uh, a much far, far more challenging thing to do. But they think they can, or they can print much more viscous fluid and saw a higher variety of fluid. And they think that that gives them a lot of advantages. So uh, Quantica is a startup that is doing some very heavy lifting, some very exciting stuff. And it's not just a kind of a me too, simple little startup. Uh, This is something that's that's much more complicated than what a lot of people are doing. So Ben, uh, yeah, a lot of respect for that. And welcome to the show. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you 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 hit the nail on the head pretty much with your. <laughs> so 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 when did you get started with this? I mean, did you did you, were you working in jetting and did you end up like uh, in this kind of field or how did you end up in this this area? Um, no, I actually don't really had uh, any background before this. So um, me and my co-founder Lufis Ferber. Uh, are pretty non-traditional, let's say. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we came out of a background. Uh, so Ludwig was doing a drone uh, company that he founded, um, I think at the age of 16 or something, and he sold it just two years later. And ever since then, he had been very fascinated by uh, 3D printers as a tool, uh, specifically for printing PCBs. And myself, I always uh, had a background in physics. I started studying it, but then actually switched to um, cinema and science communication. Uh, But uh, our paths crossed uh, after that. And uh, ever since then, we've been basically hooked onto uh, wanting to do a jetting 3D printer because just on the fundamental side, it it felt like there was so much more potential uh, with regards to what could be done. And ever since then, we've just taken a huge deep dive uh, into deep research uh, of uh, yeah, fluid rheology, essentially. And um, yeah, it was quite a significant step uh, when uh, Ludwig sort of started the first project on this. And um, I was just a technical advisor. And then uh, sort of that, that fell a bit flat. And uh, we then decided to go back and do our own printhead. And uh, we found a way uh, to mitigate a lot of problems associated with classical printheads because they 
are not in the field of high viscosity jetting. They're made for low viscosity inks. And uh, yeah, there is a critical, there was a critical point in uh, discovering that we had built something, <laughs> our first prototype that could just eject uh, random SLA materials off the shelf. And uh, it took a while for us to realize how significant that was actually. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you, sorry, just for clarification, you yeah. can literally put any SLA material into this thing and it'll spit through, so to speak? Pretty much, yeah. We've, we've had very few cases where we couldn't eject any material. Uh, so we're talking like around different viscosity ranges. A normal SLA type materials usually will print fine. <laughs> so, uh, but we have had uh, certain types of uh, sort of high octane dental materials that at room temperature had around, um, yeah, 4,000, 5,000 MPAS where it, it, it's getting kind of tricky. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, that's way beyond what uh, is usually the case in, in the SLA space. So a little bit back to the fundamentals here, because I think a lot of like inkjet is, I think the technology is least understood by a lot of people. It's seen. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so talk to us a little bit about, okay. So my, the inkjet of my desk jet, for example, why is that different? I mean, why is that, that developed for kind of like putting up substrate uh, or putting up ink on top of a substrate. Why is that inkjet different than, than, than the one you guys are developed? What's the difference between that? So the fundamental difference is that um, inks were designed to be easily jettable. So it, they, in order to play well with the types of uh, inkjet heads that existed, uh, which was predominantly dominated by HP, for example, um, mm -hmm. the type of ejection, the type of actuation that is happening in these print heads um, can only be done with, you know, certain fluidic properties. And mm. um, just to make it simple on themselves uh, and uh, overall, uh, and within the physical theory, uh, there was sort of this upper limit that uh, um, was sort of calculated uh, in the past uh, as to what is jettable with these types of uh, print heads. Uh, mm -hmm. So you have uh, something called bubble jet, which uh, basically heats uh, in a very short micro pulse uh, material to expand effectively and then to be ejected. Or you have something like what we're using, which is uh, piezo electronics uh, or piezo driven printheads. And they use a small crystal that deforms on uh, an electric impulse that basically pushes the material out. And um, sort of when this was developed, um, uh, yeah, in the 60s and 70s and then perfected in the 80s, there was a huge race to uh, just get better resolution and to get it so compact that you could print everything in one go. So your paper printer could just go through once and everything was done. Um, and so, yeah, there was a huge fundamental effort to miniaturize this and to get it on a scale where it's basically uh, produced in the same way computer chips are produced. So, um, and um, with that, uh, with this type of miniaturization, there was also always a focus of just having these very low viscosity liquids um, uh, being ejected because there wasn't really an emphasis on the functionality of the liquid itself. It just needed to look good and be colorful and <laughs> do what paper printers do. <laughs> For your purposes, though, you're, you're extruding or not extruding, you're spraying. I don't know how to put it. Um, yeah. Plastic, though, instead of ink. Exactly. So are you heating well, yeah. it at the same time or are you... So what we're doing is uh, we're utilizing uh, photopolymer uh, resins uh, right. um, most of the time right now. Uh, but uh, so we tried from the beginning to be as um, wide open as possible to as many materials as possible. So 
there was an effort to also allow, for example, particle fillers or um, yeah, for our printer to be so heat resilient to at some point also go into um, just ejecting uh, liquid uh, um, yeah, plastics that are melted, melted liquid plastic, hot, yeah. hot, hot melt printing. Yeah. Essentially, uh, we're not at that point yet because there's also a bunch of problems uh, related to the deposition and then to the post-depositional curing, uh, which you need to take into uh, account in order to be sure that the, when the drop landed, it doesn't just flow away. And uh, with you know hot melts, you need uh, much more precise uh, thermal management of whatever you're putting down on your substrate. And with increased layer height, there's a bunch of things that you need to take into account. This is actually simpler with uh, photocurable material because you can essentially print a pass and then have your UV curing unit capture your droplet in place as soon as you want it. Um, yeah, And that's the way that we're building it. Essentially, you're ejecting the droplet on your substrate or on any previously printed substrate and you're erading it as, uh, very quickly. Um, and yeah, you're doing that layer by layer until you build up your product. And with that, the fundamental effect that you have is that you have control over each singular droplet and with a specific enough or high enough resolution. Uh, mm -hmm. Like for example, we're going for 300 to 600 DPI on ours. You can create the same effect as you would with a normal uh, printer, which means full color, uh, completely realistic color, also color depth and also full adjustment of material mixtures and certain dithering patterns that you have within your object. So different material properties and gradients throughout the object mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. Yeah, well, I think uh, the voxel, you can control, well, ultimately yeah. you could control uh, the voxel level where you're printing where and what material it is, right? That would be the, the goal, I guess. Exactly, yes. And that becomes more complex the more materials you have and the more complex rheology you have to master with, for example, high viscous materials. And why, so, does, that, why does that viscosity change? Like the, because rheology is something that we may know the word, but we don't really do. <laughs> uh, so why does that viscosity change things? Why is that so, so important for, for, for well, the, whole, the whole thing? Really? Why does it change everything, essentially? So essentially, uh, how these uh, printheads work is by utilizing this for example, in the piezo case, the deformation at a speed that is sort of uh, acoustically driven. And with that acoustic uh, driving, you can eject the material um, when it just has good behavior. So uh, there's something uh, where, for example, when it's Newtonian and it has a high shear stress applied, meaning just a high force at a high speed, um, then uh, it just behaves in the same way fundamentally. There's materials out there, and a lot of the materials that we're printing are like this, that have other properties. For example, they are shear thinning most of the time, mm -hmm. or shear thickening even. So, mm -hmm. And that uh, basically creates sort of these energy barriers where you're transferring your acoustics into the material, and you could lose a, a bunch of that energy and not be able to form a droplet. And there's many points at which you can lose that energy. So for example, there's even um, an elastic behavior that comes in these higher uh, viscous uh, polymer materials. And that type of elasticity is related to the type of frequency that you're printing at. So effectively it gets, actually it should get thinner, but it's actually getting thicker because sort of you have this elastic element uh, coming in at you know anything beyond like seven kilohertz or something. And uh, that carries also through to when you want to release a droplet. So uh, droplets uh, that needs to be released from an opening can form very long ligaments, uh, so long uh, connected 
points until there's like a pinch off and depending on the surface tension, the specific gravity and viscosity of the material and these elastic factors as well, you can have uh, sometimes yeah, a couple centimeters long ligaments, you know, not actually really ejecting droplets. They're just bouncing back and forth. And it's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of equipment and a lot of knowledge needed <laughs> to uh, figure these things out, actually. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a, it was quite a big investment for us to get our drop watching system, for example. Uh, so we can look at the droplets as they're exiting the sprint head. And yeah, it's not a small feat to basically get this equal for materials that behave so very differently. Okay, so on this sense, like how important is it for you to like to do everything? Because it seems like you, you're saying that the complexity per material increases, but wouldn't it be easier to just focus on one material and just say, hey, we can jet photopolymers, go for it, guys. You know what I mean? Is it, or, or, or are you kind of complicating things by yourself to want to do absolutely everything? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So the main thing is for us to have a usable product and to enable sort of this new type of workflow where you can have these much higher functioning materials than in any other uh, inkjet-based 3D system and um, combine sort of the, the advantages of the inkjetting world and what you get out of, for example, tough SLA resins. And that was the initial goal. And we found, for example, a lot of really good partnerships in the dental field uh, that will allow us specifically to utilize this USP. Uh, because mm -hmm. in, in the dental sector, for example, if you're wanting to print, yeah, let's say um, just crowns or bridges uh, or full dentures, uh, you have a lot of uh, requirements to the material. Uh, it needs to be biocompatible, it needs to be extremely resilient. And you also have, you know, a lot of costs that you want to reduce or can reduce by uh, reducing, for example, having to glue them together if you print them in SLA, which is currently the pathway. So right now we're focusing a lot on uh, you know, building the system to optimize these materials specifically for dentures. Um, but uh, then we know that it will go on. We have already other materials uh, that we want to basically classify and we're building the entire sort of hypothesis and workflow for us to be really effective at classifying and combining materials in the future for these much more valuable prints that we can, we can then create. Isn't dental, like the thing with dental to me is, is it not already like so commoditized because there's so many low value printers that are making that, uh, uh, that are, that are ending up in, in dental offices and so many kind of mid market kind of, you know, kind of 15 K kind of systems that, that, um, you know, are ending up in dental labs. Isn't it just, just, isn't that a really, or is, is it precisely the volume that you're targeting on site? Yeah, that's sort of the volume that we're actually wanting to target. So the other big big advantage of us having developed our printhead ourselves and now being in a state where it can eject material very effectively is that you know we can uh, produce it at a very low price point because we're not even not utilizing the same type of manufacturing processes as other printhead manufacturers so it's it's not only more capable it's also cheaper <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, to us that will yeah enable sort of uh, having control over that entire uh, ecosystem and the entire workflow and that's really necessary because um, especially in the field of inkjet 3d printing uh, these companies you know they're not doing their own printheads they have to accept the um, you know the problems associated with uh, current printheads and the limitations and uh, for us to have actual control about everything uh, on a fundamental level we needed to basically tackle it all so we we're 
yeah, we're doing the firmware, we're doing the hardware, um, and we've we've been developing our current printing system uh, to that degree, and uh, it has been yeah pretty successful in printing, for example, these uh, two and three material dentures, and we're sort of upping the ante now and getting into more and more materials, combining them more and more and being more and more sure how to tackle the problems associated with more and more materials. That seems like it's going to take like forever and be really expensive. Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so, okay. I yeah. mean, it has taken us five years uh, now uh, until this point. Uh, we're um, basically producing our first um, sort of... Uh, desktop system by the end of the year and sort of internally and uh, trying to sell it uh, by next year. Um, so yeah, six years overall within the development and it's looking quite good on that front. So yeah, but we're doing a lot of things at the same time. That is very true. We've, we've been very lucky with the team that we've built uh, to be capable to tackle all of these issues. Uh, but we've also, of course, worked with uh, many outside sources on this. So for example, the... Uh, uh, Fraunhofer has been a great partner over a long time uh, to establish also control over the workflow and the software and the slicing that is very specific for these types of printing. I remember the, like in the beginning days of commercializing the FDM and stuff for, for in the, the, the for desktop printers, we didn't know anything, right? We didn't because there were so few people that were doing the similar things. It was really difficult, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so was it the same for you guys? Because you're like, if you're doing an FDM company now, you have tons of people to talk about. You could talk to filament companies. You can talk to uh, end users using the technology. Are you guys kind of like, you know, the fact that you're the only ones like doing your own print ad, yeah, is that complicating it for you guys? Because you're all by yourself like uh, like that? Yeah, well, it sort of was for a long time uh, when we just started developing uh, and iterating very fast in the beginning. Uh, we were a really small team and it was just really, yeah, uh, reading hundreds and hundreds of papers <laughs> and uh, trying to uh, figure everything out on a very uh, basic level until it just started working and then it's continued to work and <laughs> uh, it was it was sort of um, yeah it was it was a very high uh, speed iteration in the beginning so we had probably uh, something up to two to three different printed designs per week uh, because we managed to produce it in a way where we could have our partners that were delivering specific parts, you know, that were etched or decoplated or whatever, at a pace and uh, yeah, uh, with new design inputs that we could yeah just iterate really quickly. Uh, and that took us probably like two years to get to a pretty decent state with regards to just the printed system. And, and did you use 3D printing to uh, to make these all these iterations or? Uh, Mostly, actually, no. Uh, it's <laughs> not precise enough at that level. <laughs> okay, okay, um, okay. So, yeah, a, a lot more um, is yeah etching, uh, sort of meta etching, lasering, laser ablation uh, was used a bunch. Um, and then, yeah, some parts were injection molded, like case parts and things like this. But um, before that, we actually would mill everything with just our high-precision CNC mill uh, in our mm -hmm. own lab. And that's that's how we really got very very fast at iterative um, building of these print heads. That was the key yeah. for sure. And have you guys found it difficult to find investors? Because it does like investors. Typically, you have some tame kind of investors that are more like looking at a really kind of quick return kind of thing. They tend to look at kind of easier things. Was it difficult for you to find the right investors? Or 
yeah, that's been always an ongoing struggle, of course. Um, but it was easier once we could showcase that we inject, we were injecting sort of these high viscous materials at uh, good enough resolution and printing, you know, tiny little parts first with uh, very few nozzles and then getting into a uh, higher nozzle density as of now. And yeah, and we demonstrated sort of each part individually and had to always look for sort of investors that were technically minded. Uh, so the more they knew, the better it was. And at some point we had a partner that was actually um, doing the due diligence together with some of the you know biggest names in uh, inkjet print heads. Um, there we really sort of uh, got very lucky because we got uh, due diligence reports that were essentially saying, okay, this is the real deal. <laughs> Please invest in this. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, we were quite happy about that. Uh, and yeah, it, it is, but it is a continuing struggle and it is not easy to um, let people know how significant this is. I think that's great, but it's because you're making a fundamental to go, because the thing is, this can also be used way beyond 3D printing, right? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, we're talking to a lot of people in 2D applications, for example. You could use this for, I don't know, electronics or printed electronics or 2D printed electronics, but also 3D printed electronics. Um, yeah. And we well, talked to companies before where sometimes that's really exciting, but at the same time, that's also kind of, you know, if you have like a company uh, that's really specialized, it's it, everything falls into place. You know, you know exactly what to do, mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, and for you guys, it's like, there's just so much out there that, that, that you don't really know what to do, you know? Well, that's where we're taking it step by step. So right now we're focusing on dental. Um, and that has been very fruitful for us because we've been able to eject specifically dental materials with fillers that are certified for in-mouth use, for example, uh, for over uh, long time periods to be actually utilized in full denture prints. Uh, and we've done the first, um, you know, two and other multi-material prints where we could uh, essentially combine the teeth and uh, tooth material all at once uh, with these completely certified materials. And that's already a huge gain because... Um, we're trying to do it in a way where we can essentially eliminate any post-processing on these parts. And that is uh, quite a significant uh, time gain for labs and even chair-side operation. But how and, does that work? Yeah. Then? How can you eliminate post-processing? Well, so essentially um, what we can do is we can um, you know, print it without any uh, supporting structure. Uh, and this, well, the supporting structure that we print is essentially uh, biocompatible, but also water soluble. And we can control the deposition with the model material in a way where you can have really good surface control of how the surface looks like. And then essentially only needing post curing, which we're right now trying to achieve in the system itself. Um, so yeah, effectively, not having uh, any manual labor associated uh, with that denture. So, so, so no picking you put, it up. You put it in water. Like a, an, a UV pure station or anything of that nature. Um, yeah, that may be necessary in our first iteration, but we're actually trying to, uh, to mitigate that. <laughs> but the goal so, is to eliminate yeah. that completely, and then you're just basically putting in a water bath afterwards to get rid of the... Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's the goal. So we have been working even on our own uh, uh, formulations with third-party suppliers uh, on water-soluble support material and have been quite successful in finding formulations that are also biocompatible uh, to the standard of, you know, denture materials and uh, things like that. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's the goal for the denture printing. And that's, that will be our first standing leg. And we have 
um, yeah, already gotten pretty good investment deals with regards to that, and we're about to uh, yeah get another uh, funding round uh, pretty much because of this. But that's what uh, it, and, yeah. why it, it works at the end of the day, right? Because investors can actually see a path with the dental exactly. route. It's established. Yeah. It's known. Whereas when you're like, we want to print circuits, everyone's like, mm. yeah, exactly. Exactly. So there's a, there's a long way to go, um, but um, yeah, we're already starting. <laughs> mm -hmm. So we've been uh, sort of developing this workflow for characterizing of inks. Um, we have our first product out that is specific for this purpose, which is uh, called the Jetpack. There's a limited number available for um, third parties to co-develop uh, material applications, essentially. Uh, so we've been talking to some very interesting startups in, um, that provide uh, yeah, conductive inks, even self-using conductive inks. Uh, and uh, we've been yeah, depositing it, uh, doing ejection performance analysis uh, with our systems that we have here and combining it with different types of substrates, for example. And why did you decide to do that? Because it would be tempting to just say, oh, we're going to make that ourselves and sell it for lots and lots of money. Like, Was there a point that like you have so many applications that you think you're going to need all that extra expertise to unlock them? Or what's the idea here? Yes, yes. The complexities are... Uh, of the charts <laughs> so uh, with these types of uh, applications uh, we definitely need help uh, from third parties for the materials in the end it's all about the materials and what we've built is a fundamental platform that tries to be um, as open to uh, different materials as possible uh, but uh, there's a lot of uh, very complicated things that need to be taken into account when um, you know printing these different materials so what kind of cure do they need? Uh, mm -hmm. Is it, you know, IR blasting? Is it laser? Is it post-sintering? Is it green or is it evaporative uh, with different solvents? And um, yeah, what's the particle sizes in these types of materials? What constituents are in there? Is it compatible chemically with uh, everything that's going on in our printhead and uh, material supply system and so on? All these uh, things we've tried to be as broad as possible and build a system for that. But in the end, uh, co-developments with people that are or with parties that are interested in this type of technology to build really highly integrated objects, uh, highly valuable objects uh, is, is definitely necessary. Um, mm -hmm. We're, we're going to be offering a base material set in the beginning and then potentially also gradually expanding on our own. But a lot of it will be work with, with third parties. And that, but then you could do the, what Zara does, right? So Zara just basically says, hey, we've got this inkjet technology. Ours is more open than other people. We'll even help you implement it. We just, you know, you come to us with your bioprinting company. We'll, we'll help you make a bioprinting. Then just buy a bunch of our inkjet uh, heads. Is, is, that, is that something you've considered? Because that's a, you know, it's very obvious. If you do go this co-development way, that's another way of doing it. Then you don't have to do the machine, you know? Exactly. Yes, that's something that we've... Um... Yeah, considered, and we also have hired a couple of people uh, from Zara. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so our new CTO is uh, was ex CTO uh, XA, for example, uh, and yeah, that is certainly an option. But um, there's different levels of uh, refinement needed for different types of applications. So within the scope that we can deliver right now, we see um, dental falling into exactly the space that we can address at this point. But in terms of mass production of completely independently usable um, printing heads, our printing head specs are not yet up to par. Uh, that's going to be coming in the next two generations, essentially. 
but then you would need like it, it, but this looks like to me that it's something that you would need like hundreds of millions of euros to really make this happen or is it, or you really think that this frugal approach can really make you kind of outlast other people and just like keep being frugal forever is that kind of the idea or uh no we're not going to be frugal forever of course <laughs> it is uh born out of necessity uh this approach um mm -hmm. yeah born out of the fact that we had very limited funds over a long time to basically only focus on the printhead and um yeah now building the system and delivering a direct um use case for uh denture companies is is yeah is the most direct uh, best way for us to tackle this and to integrate our uh sort of ultra high viscosity uh, uh range print heads into into the world and uh basically showcasing what the advantages of having this freedom with uh with regards to the chemistry but is that then a goal to then okay let's look at guys this is our demo case let's now find 100 million euros or do you hope to then say this is our demo case let's make enough money in dental so we can just grow the business long term is that is it one of those two or yeah the second one sounds about right <laughs> there are more options right i'm reducing the world a little bit too much maybe but uh no but it is we're we're, we're really trying to um yeah just grow organically from that uh, specific use case. And we do know what potential this, this uh, technology holds. It's, it's very hard even to, um, to teach this type of thing <laughs> uh, because yeah, we're looking into various things uh, on a lab scale, uh, just trying to eject different materials on, that we're interested in on our uh, own. Uh, so mm. for example, biomaterials, uh, reducing the shear stresses that are associated with printing cellular materials and things like this. And we can go much beyond uh, what anybody else can do with these types of application because we're, well, at least a tenfold increase in, in legacy uh, viscosity range. So um, yeah, yeah it's, I, it, it, it is quite significant. We're looking at a lot of different things. Um, most exciting for us right now is, for example, ceramics and metal particles. I was going to ask, can you do ceramics with this? Because that would be an interesting way. Exactly. To approach yeah, ceramics. that is yeah. also yeah interesting for yeah many many applications in the future. So we're 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 looking into that very deeply, uh, but it yeah well it will take some time. So first of all, we're going with yeah. highly resilient uh, polymer systems, uh, and even sort of these digital material like. Um, uh, polymer combinations where you can control sort of polymer characteristics, but at a high level. Going from solid to elastomeric is one other thing that we're investigating a lot, uh, and to having very really high performance elastomers uh, that we can eject as well. Do, do you see this technology in the next, say, five years being applied to making essentially like a solid device that has printed? you know, transistors and is capable of doing some task, um, um, but it's all coming out of, a, of a, a jet, out of one of these heads, print heads, that, or combination of print heads. There will be a, a size limit for sure. Uh, that's that's really, yeah, really logically, uh, <laughs> transistors themselves, uh, only very large ones, I guess. <laughs> no, but I think uh, integration uh, on the level of, you know, printing antenna bands uh, and normal, uh, um, lines uh, uh sort of conductive elements so how pcb would be uh printed but that integrated into three-dimensional structures um that is for sure something that i'm looking forward to uh and i personally like to research uh, 
a lot of things also in my free time uh, relating to um, yeah uh, other functional materials like emissive materials um, or uh, mm -hmm. charge carrying materials, uh, batteries, uh, for example. Mm. Um, there's a lot of ways to do this, but uh, and and one of the major restrictions in the past was for sure that the rheology was too complex to handle for uh, any printhead. So having the capacity of fundamentally depositing these things at a voxel level uh, and defining the voxels very precisely and very small, uh, yeah, will give us space, a printable space that integrates a whole bunch of more functionality than any any other three billion printing technology fundamentally. Because okay, so first of all, you you said you mentioned in passing a bunch of really exciting stuff, and I think, but first off, like from a vision standpoint, this voxel level control element mm -hmm. that could be a completely new way of making things, right? That's like we're going further than being being gradient, right? We're 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 we're, we're going to be able to change properties at a certain location and change properties throughout the location, and yeah. well, print very very dissimilar materials as well, right? To to give very very different effects, right? Yeah, well, that uh, entirely depends on the chemistry and uh, rheological properties. There's a lot of work to be done on uh, to, for that statement to be true. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Because, um, but I think that the vision thing to me is very exciting because that's a lot. Like I think Gershenfeld said this at one point, and uh, I think I think a lot of other people have been talking about this. The idea of of, of not having like sand as a universal building material, but more like a way, a pick and place way to to pick exactly the the right build material or building. Uh, uh, you know, for, for and to make exactly your object from the ground up, if you will. Yeah, anything that you could potentially uh, eject with that droplet, be it any type of, you know, mm -hmm. particle or any type of functional polymeric network or anything uh, to be able to deposit that at a scale that essentially sort of yeah, mimics also uh, mixtures and mimics just material uh, property mixing. Uh, is, is quite pow powerful just on a fundamental level. Uh, I think that will be necessary for the future of sort of manufacturing really highly integrated objects. The only problem is that right now there exists only limited workflows for these types of applications. And that is something that we're addressing together with third parties. Um, for example, Fraunhofer is, has been very instrumental in even uh, getting mm -hmm. files ready that can incorporate these types of information. But also, if you have an expanded rheology, does it mean that if we were to be printing cells, for example, can you print more viable cells that don't have as much shear on it and that don't die as much and all this or not? Exactly. Yeah, well, that's funny Yeah, because uh, I was recently sort of trying to investigate. Uh, we're, we're starting to sort of have IR order simulations of what we're actually doing when we're injecting. And because we're not mm -hmm. working at the acoustic level, but... Uh, well, let's say somewhere else, uh, we, we can control the shear rates that they experienced uh, in, uh, in different parts of the liquids and uh, have much lower values on that if we want to. There is, uh, I see from my initial research, a viable window to eject cells without having too much shear stresses on them and uh, too much. And that in and of itself would be insane, right? I mean, I think you, you say everything really matter-of-factly. There's nothing wrong with that. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're not boasting or bragging about stuff. This is a perfectly viable startup just to, to only be able to jet cell, living cells properly, you know? That in and of itself would be huge because like in bioprinting, you have a problem of the cell viability, which then if you're doing a light-based technology or you're using these photopolymers, it's kind of like inhibited. Every technology has kind of limitation, but to jet the living cell and then also be able to do the process that has a resolution high enough to build 
that's kind of what these all these guys are kind of looking for. So that would really be exciting just in the buyer printing alone, you know? It's really, really different to uh, these other printers and it is, yeah, it is luckily well protected now. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it is, I think, <laughs> a fundamental way to get to these things. Of course, um, yeah, in researching, in having all the problems that we've been having with ejecting materials and that we've solved, uh, you know, we do realize that it is, it is a magnitude more complex to re uh, uh, get to these types of things than, than potentially other uh, 3D printing technologies, I would say, <laughs> to some degree, um, because there's a lot of yeah. things to consider. Um, but yeah, that's why we're really looking for a lot of partnerships uh, long term to uh, where there's you know, interesting markets that we can um, yeah, get uh, our USP into. And uh, yeah, bioprinting is for sure one of the big ones um, that I see in the future there. Mm -hmm. yeah and then also like well then also for circuits this is also like we did touch on this a couple of times as well like the circuits and printed electronics and stuff like that there's also like a lot of potential there right i mean yeah so yeah we have a pipeline so to speak of third parties uh, wanting to test their newly developed materials with us uh, where we even do uh, simple adjustments and uh, yeah a couple of them are um yeah, basically conductive inks, but really highly conductive inks. Um, Can't imagine some with pol <laughs> some. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but e even some with uh, polymer metrics or some self-using, uh, which is quite interesting. But then, of course, there's other specifications required uh, on uh, what kind of substrate you deposit these types of materials, mm. and uh, there you have to, um, yeah, do quite a lot of testing, uh, do quite a lot of uh, compatibility. Uh, sort of combinatorial testing uh, in order to, you know, even start the process, essentially. So what we're offering right now is really only um, checking the viability with potential partnerships uh, for long-term engagement on that. And so it seems like you guys have a lot of possibilities. I mean, there's like a, it's almost like you have too many options and too much stuff going on, too many possible futures, right? I mean, I think, yeah. what are you going to focus on making real, let's say, in the next five years? That's dental. Um, that's the core focus right now then ceramics is uh, the other one that we're looking into very heavily and uh, yeah conductive inks also super interesting uh, there will be sort of uh, with dental uh, with other polymeric material systems that we validate during that time there will be already a huge space open uh, to be utilized for you know the standard application fields that don't need any sort of high new uh, uh, inventiveness, but it can actually profit a lot from, you know, having deep color integration, but also being functional, for example. Um, mm -hmm. So that's something, you know, like Stratus is doing, having high color accuracy in the prints, but mm -hmm. uh, the prints not really being usable. Um, but if they were, uh, that would be already a different uh, space in which you can uh, um, do very interesting things. We're anticipating that that will sort of exist uh, as well. But um, the main focus on dental is really to, yeah, have that investor pipeline, have a uh, have a really tight plan, uh, which we've been following quite successfully so far, and uh, to yeah get to that point where we have just something on the market that is uh, seen as a successful, useful. Uh, product utilizing this ultra high viscosity ink jetting. Wow, that's uh, I think that's really exciting. I think that was really great. So Ben, like this is really potentially 
you guys have so much impact potentially. I hope uh, really that investors and partners can see this because um, yeah. I think you guys have really a huge, huge impact on so many areas. So I wish you a lot of luck with your great startup. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're always looking for potential investors on this and <laughs> potential corporations on this. So this is my call out. <laughs> sure, sure. Essentially. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And so thank you for being here, Ben. And Max, thank you for being here as well. No, oh, yeah. This yeah. this is some exciting stuff. So likewise, I can't wait to see where this goes over the next few years. And uh great. thank you for listening. This is another episode of the three D pod and have a great day. You've been listening to the 3D Pod. For more information on what you just heard or to subscribe, visit www.3dprint.com or follow us at 3dprint underscore com.